You're listening to the Thrive Works webcast, where you hear facts, not fluff. Introducing your host, Dr. Anthony Centaur. This is Dr. Anthony Centaur, and today we have an, an interesting topic, a little different from some of the other videos or podcasts that we've done. The topic is assessing the efficacy of psychiatric or psychotropic medications. Now with us today is Dr. Greg Handel. He is a licensed psychologist out of Massachusetts. He actually works at ThriveWorks Westboro. And he is also, in addition to being a licensed psychologist, which should be enough, he's also a licensed behavior analyst, uh, meaning that throughout his, his, uh, his long career, he's worked with a variety of clients, some who have developmental disabilities, uh, some who are nonverbal. And the way uh, this is important and what we're going to be talking about today is that for some of his clients, he's had to look at uh, data and symptoms and how his clients are actually behaving because they've been unable to self-report. Well, anyway, uh, without further ado, uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Greg, for joining us today. Great being here. All right. Let's... Uh, start from the beginning here uh i will kick it off with a with a a, a mouthful of a question <laughs> look depending on the meds that people are taking i i know that it can sometimes be difficult for clinicians and sometimes even difficult for clients to know whether or not their medications are working now if they're taking something like a benzodiazepine if they're taking a clonopin or a xanax you know 45 minutes later it's kicked in and right. and, and you know that something's happening but with right. some medications like antidepressants, uh, SSRI, serotonin reuptake inhibitors, Lexapro, different antidepressants, they take weeks to start working. Let's, yeah, let's just say weeks to start working. And then when they do start working, uh, you don't, the clients don't experience anything uh, immediately when they start working. So there's always this, this nagging question, is this medication doing something or is this a placebo? Mm -hmm. I guess let's just Let's start there. How, as a clinician or as a client, how do you know if the medications you're taking are, are helping or not? Yeah, I mean, that's an excellent question, um, even though it took a while to come out. But anyway, <laughs> the I mean, the issue is uh, how do we make judgments on whether or not the medication works? And I think that's why we need objective data. And, and what I mean by objective data is evidence-based, that we look for evidence. So if we're feeling lousy, what are some of the symptoms or what are some of the overt signs? For instance, how could somebody else know that I'm feeling lousy? What would they see? What are the changes that are there? Because those things can be measured. And, you know, not only does sometimes it takes weeks for something to kick in, but even after it kicks in, uh, mood swings from day to day. And it may be difficult from a day-to-day -day situation to know uh, is this medication working? Often the assessment is based on the last 24 hours. So you go and see a psychiatrist on Wednesday, he says, how's it going? For the most part, you haven't seen that psychiatrist for three months, but your assessments are based on the last 24, 48 hours. And but through the collection of data, we often see trends that uh, maybe the last 24, 48 hours have been lousy, but the last three weeks have been really good overall. Well, that says something in terms of whether or not the medication is working. And let me say one other thing. Yeah. In an ideal world, if medication works, it's almost like we don't know it's there, right? 
because it's not a buzz, right? It's not like you have a couple of drinks of scotch and you're feeling a little kind of buzz and feeling loose. No, what the medication does is it, it helps us function. We often use the terminology, it takes the edge off. And it means some of the behavioral techniques we're talking about in therapy now can kick in in a way they weren't kicking in before. Um, so the tr- change isn't gonna be that drastic. And so it's not necessarily like you're reporting how you feel after a couple of, oh, I'm feeling pretty good after a couple of scotches. No, it's not exactly like that. You, sometimes there's this dramatic behavioral contrast because the difference between how you felt off the medication and on the medication is so drastic that you can report, yes, I feel so much better. But often the more subtle differences that need to be picked up uh, that we hope the use of data will be more sensitive to. Fascinating. Now, and you're a licensed mental health professional who, who participates in, in psychotherapy, uh, as am I and as, as are most of our guests. When, when you're working with a client and you're doing more than one thing, you're, you're doing the psychotherapy, so psychotherapeutic treatment or the talk therapy, and, you're, and they're also taking medication because a psychiatrist has prescribed. I mean, how do we know, even if we see trends over time, we see, hey, over the last month, this person is more functional, their symptoms have been reduced. How do we know? Is it a combination of the two? Is it the psychotherapy that's worked or is the psychotherapy garbage? It's the medication that's done in the job. From an individual client perspective, can we really know which one is effective? Well, yeah, yeah. Another good question. So here, I'll share something that a professor of mine uh, shared with him in college. He talked about the convergence effect. Mm-hmm. Okay, that in and and we're you know when we're talking about research and most of the research that I was involved in in grad school was applied research. Okay, so when you're doing laboratory work, the idea is you try to factor out all the variables, all the confounding variables we talk about. And then you manipulate your uh, independent variables. So therefore, the dependent variables, just to use jargon, we feel pretty based on the independent variable. It means what you manipulated was the reason why you got the outcome you got. You try and isolate it so you know you know yeah. what what's isolate making the change. All the other variables. So yeah. the one yeah. variable you're uh, manipulating was the thing that had the effect you're looking for. In the real world, things aren't that clean. No. Okay. And we know that. So what he said is, sure, anyone, if you take one measure, one measure, uh, you could have a whole slew of alternative reasons why that measure changed. So say we look at somebody's sleep, okay? They're sleeping better. Oh, well, maybe it's because of medication. Well, was it? When did it change? How did it change? And how do we know there's other factors that were involved? Well, the thing is, let's take multiple uh, measures. So if the symptoms of, of depression were, say, lack of sleep, mm-hmm. uh, decrease in appetite, um, social withdrawal, um, inefficiency at work, then we may want to measure something like what's work, find something that's a measure of work productivity, find a measure of, of interaction with others, find a measure of how often you're sleeping, what's your app, you know, how much, what's your food take, intake. If all those measures point in the same direction, so we try a certain treatment and all those measures are moving in the same direction. Then it's hard to argue that our treatment wasn't effective because yeah, maybe there was some extraneous variable that affected one of those, but all four of those all move in the same direction at the time we implemented our, our uh, treatment, um, then you, you feel a little bit more secure. Uh, it's kind of like a court of law. How do you know for sure someone's really guilty? 
you know, well, you present enough evidence. And if all the evidence is moving you in the right direction, then you feel pretty certain, even though you weren't there, that yes, the, the, uh, the verdict is yes, we're pretty certain they're not guilty or they're pretty certain they're guilty. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing here. If we present enough evidence, then we feel pretty certain that we're having some treatment effect here. I see. Yeah, you know, I have found that it's it, sometimes with my most driven clients, the ones that are, uh, they come in, they're dealing with, say, depression, and we're working on some things, and they leave, you know, most of the of the work happens outside of the of the session, right? Uh, now, but they leave, they change their diet, they change their exercise routine, they change uh, how socially active they are, they maybe get on a medication, and then they improve their environment. And their depression lifts, they come back in and we say, what, what was it? What made the change? And we have no idea because they've, they've altered six things in a positive way. And, it, and in some, some regards, it, it doesn't matter because they're feeling better. But it's hard to be like, you know, which was the one that, made, that really made the difference? Was it the social activity or was it the sleep? Was it the diet or was it the fact that they, they changed their environment? What was it? Um, or the other way to look at it, Anthony, is all these areas were symptoms of depression the, the way, the direction they're heading in, after coming in with treatment with you, whether it was your prompting or whatever, your technique, then triggered those. So in a sense, was it which came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, all we know is they weren't doing any of these things before they came in for treatment. Yeah. Now they're being more productive, they're sleeping better, and all those things after treatment, we'll feel pretty secure the fact that the, the turning point was the treatment. They, they well, that's exactly why I, I always take the credit whenever I have a client that's improve. Right. I say, well, clearly I'm yeah. the one that's fixed this. Yeah, I right. love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a quarterback, right? He gets he gets too much credit for the victory and too much blame for the loss, that's right? right? That's right, that's right, yeah. No, but but for like any good therapist, if the person doesn't get better, I yeah, I make sure that it's their fault. Yeah, uh, I, mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's right, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, it's true. You know, we really play a very small role well, we play a role. Mm -hmm. And if that role, if, the, if, if we see that because of therapy, all these measures are changing, okay, then the role we play was a positive one. Mm -hmm. And that's really what we're looking for. You know, as, as a clinician working with, I mean, I know you see a, 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 a spectrum of clients here at ThriveWorks. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you feel when, I mean, I know some clients, they, they just don't want to get on meds. Um, mm -hmm. and different providers feel, you know, different therapists feel differently about the summer, like good, don't get on meds and others really see it as a disadvantage. Um, how much of a blow is it to treatment when you're recommending someone get on some meds and they're just saying, I don't want to go down that road. You know, I, I tried, I tried to not see it as a blow, mm. you know, I try not to see it as, well, when I hear the word blow, I think of taking it personally. Okay. Yeah. You know, and as you know, Anthony, you don't want to take anything personally as a therapist. You know, <laughs> you're there as an instrument to try to help them be better. And the issue is, do they feel better? So the tactic I try to say is, great. You want to do without therapy? Okay, let's look at some of the areas in life. What are some of you, or some of the areas in your life you want to improve on? What are some of your objectives? Let's call those. Maybe we don't have to call them symptoms, but a lot of times objectives that people choose like you want to communicate better with your spouse you want to connect more with your kids mm. you want more productive at work um you know what are those areas i'm looking at them as symptoms okay those aren't happening for you now and you're saying that's part of the depression but you think that you can overcome it without medication well i'll tell you what let's make a deal let's give it five weeks four weeks five weeks whatever 
We're going to do some behavioral tactics. You're going to try to, you know, achieve in those objective areas. And we're going to look at each week. And at the end of five weeks, we're going to assess how you're doing. Now let's revisit meds. If they're not improving after three weeks, we don't get the five weeks. It's like, you know what? You're probably right, Greg. You know, but they are showing improvements. They are making goals. Then maybe they're right. Okay. Then maybe you don't need the medication, you know, because that's what I said. If you can do this without the medication, fine. You know, um, far be it from me to say you have to take something because let's face it. I had a psychiatrist friend of mine who said one time, you know, Greg, no side effects, no effect. I mean, the fact is you're taking a chemical in your body that's changing an emotion, a behavior, feeling, we can't pinpoint that so exact that there aren't, we can't guarantee there aren't other side effects. Mm. The safest way to not have any side effects is not take any medication. Sure. So therefore, if they're taking the medication, it must mean that the positive effect outweighs whatever side effect, hopefully minor, that it is. But on the other hand, if then we can show improvements in areas of the person's life where they want to achieve those improvements, without the medication, without the risk of side effect, well, then let's take that approach. Hence, though, let's get back to taking some evidence-based data so it isn't just some on some feeling. Let's just look at the data. And often when people are actually looking at, wow, I'm really looking at the fact that, yeah, I'm still only getting three hours of sleep and I'm still up all night because I'm worried and I'm still not productive at work the next day. I'm still like, maybe I really should consider something different, Mm -hmm. you know? And when they're looking at, uh, objective evidence in front of them week in, week out rather than just how you're feeling kind of statements. Um, that, that, that tends to sway people a little bit more um, forcefully. And that's a good cognitive restructure. Uh, no side effect, no effect. Because that's one of the reasons that clients hate meds. <clears throat> I mean, some clients love their meds, but for those who hate them, they say, I don't like the side effects. I don't like this. And that's a, that's a nice switch to be like, well, hey, you know, the effect is better than the side effect. You know, it's, there's, there's a net positive still, even with the side effects there. Yeah, you gotta weigh your options, you know? What about, uh, we're, we're starting to run low on time, but I, I mean, I know some people watching or listening have perhaps been on meds. Let's go back to antidepressants. And they're, uh, they've, they've, they've had um, improvement from their mood disorders, and they're wondering is it time to get off these meds and they're debating, you know, if I get off, I could fall back in depression or fall back into anxiety. But if I stay on, I'm, I'm taking a medication that I might not need. How, how do you advise clients or former clients to go about making that decision? Yeah, that's very good. And again, that's also why I feel we need to have uh, these decisions to be evidence-based. When I say data, I mean really evidence-based that we collect evidence of whether or not it's working. So therefore, uh, because if somebody is afraid that they're gonna go back into depression, that fear itself may trigger anxiety that could trigger depression. So <laughs> let's get some objective data that is gonna show us that I am weaning off this medication and the data really isn't sliding up. You know, I'm not, you know, I, I'm still as productive as I work at work as I was. Uh, I'm still able to communicate with my uh, children the way I want to and whatever other measures we're using and they don't seem to be changing. However, the same token that's not coming over to meds and we start seeing those uh, measures deteriorate on us, then maybe that's a sign that, you know, maybe these are signs that you, you know, you, you need to get back. It is, I think it's also calming for the, the client 
to have these measures because it isn't just going to based on their ability to self-report. Think of that. That means they need to identify their feelings and be able to articulate it well and precisely enough to make a medical decision. That is whether or not we should decrease or end the medication. But when you have some evidence to support, yeah, this is how my sleep's changed. This is how my uh, social interactions have changed. This is how my productivity has changed. Yeah. Now that supports what you're articulating and you feel a little bit more confident in it. So basically, well, not basically, but one of the things I guess you're saying, it, try it, but you need to try it with some measurements to make sure exactly. that you're exactly. not sliding back. So probably try it, but under some type of uh, supervision or with some type of help with the therapist if you're going to get off a of med. Exactly. You know, one of the first things I do on intake and when I try to talk to someone, I find out about their social life and what do they like to do and who do they like to interact with and how's their job and what do they do. And some of that I try to do in a way to just kind of loosen someone up and feel a little bit more like I'm connecting with them. But I'm also looking for objective measures. What are the things they do in their life and how do they do them and, and, and what's their present baseline? So later on, we have actually measures that we can look at and say, okay, track some of that. How much work are you getting done? Uh, I had one guy who got very frustrated with himself because he wasn't getting anything done around the house and it let it overwhelm him, became very anxious. And so uh, we actually used that as one of the measures. And now he was um, he was taking medication. He was really against it, but he thought he'd try it. And then he said, you know, I'm getting a lot done around the house. In fact, I, it, it, it had a snowball effect because the more he got done, the better he felt about himself, the better he felt himself, the more he was getting done, you know? And that all happened right around, right after he's taken the, the medication. So which came first? I don't know. There was other measures we looked at, like sleep was improving. Uh, he was exercising more. Wave to know. the car, passing by. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, so, you know, it, but all these measures changed right around the time he started taking an antidepressant. And I just had to say, hey, you know, it could be coincidence, but the fact that all these measures changed mm-hmm. is less likely to be coincidental. Right. You know, what do you think about this? This this is a topic that has come up in some conversations, which the idea that a medication might poop out, that's always the term that I always hear, poop out, if someone stops taking it and then tries to take it again. So the, the kind of the worry that, that ends up happening is, if I get off the medication and my symptoms come back, if I start taking the medication again, it might not work the same way it did the first time. Have mm-hmm. you seen any credibility toward that? Uh, I, I mean, I, I actually have. Yeah. You know, what I tell my, my clients is... It makes it scarier then to, to, to potentially wean off a of med, right? Because if, well, if you're well, wrong... It, I mean, one, one size does not fit all. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen it happen. I've seen it not happen. You know, and the thing is, I don't think we're at a place in our science with the use of psychotropic medication that we can be exact. I've seen somebody on a very low dosage for, with the medication for a long period of time. The psychiatrist says this dosage is way too low. I can't see what effect it's having. Took the person off and all symptoms started coming back. Mm back on the same dose and the symptoms were still there. Had it come back on a much higher dose, then got the symptoms kind of stabilized and then gradually brought it down. Meanwhile, we're taking all data on the symptoms to support it. And so it wasn't just based on self-report. So we felt pretty confident, which is another reason why we take these objective measures because that kind of change, we would say, well, maybe this woman isn't self-reporting. Maybe she just feels like 
she's too dependent on medication. Maybe she, you know, that's, she's trying to manipulate to get the drug back, but yeah. we actually had objective measures supporting what was going on. So I, again, Anthony, I think that's why we need to take these objective measures coincided with that self-report. I'm not saying self-report isn't important, but you do it in, in tandem with it. What uh, type of medication was it in that instance? Do you recall? Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was actually an antipsychotic. She yeah. had, you know, and, and there was a lot of deterioration in terms of hallucinations and delusions and that type of thing. And the psychiatrist said, "Look, this is this is a subtherapeutic dosage. This can't be doing anything." But it was right. It was. Yeah. It was. It what usually would be a self. And so when we when when we talk about what's therapeutic, we're talking about a range. Yeah. So sixty six percent of the people are are are. Uh, affected by the medication in that range, then we say that's a therapeutic dose. But you know, um, but then you have the the fridge, you know, and then if you practice uh, long enough, you're going to get the people at the five percent on either end of the scale, you know. So um, you know, so when we say, "Have I seen it?" Yeah. And now, does it happen frequently? I had a, a, a psychiatrist one time who swore that the symptoms that we're seeing could not have been because of the clonopin. This person became more agitated, more aggressive on clonopin, and he swore, listen, clonopin doesn't do that to people. And I said, you know, let's just say, for instance, they get a drink of alcohol, right? That's supposed to be, you know, a relax, right? You're supposed to take some alcohol to relax. Some people have some alcohol and they go into a rage. Mm-hmm. Maybe the issue is disinhibition. That, that alcohol is disinhibiting them. So if there's rage inside, that's what comes out. Or for other people, they get disinhibited, they're feeling good. So we can't say everybody's going to respond to clonopin the same. All we know, we took the data, and he's more aggressive and more agitated on the clonopin than he was hmm. before. And we got him off the clonopin, got him on the medication. That became more effective. So this is, again, a reason why, because not everybody is normal what i want what i want to say is i want to say like you know medication type and dosage and things what i what i want to say which would be wrong was it's an art not a science and that's completely incorrect it's a science but it's a science where each individual person could respond differently could need a different dosage might need a different medication it just yeah. takes a lot of exploration it's a delicate uh it's a delicate well, science how about we say this it's a science but there's a certain artistic kind of interesting <laughs> we, know, we negotiate this stuff. we can say that well let's think of, let's think of my, my daughter's an artist I, I, i'll get a chance to put a plug in her right, cool. artist. Yeah, give us give us her website yeah 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 nicole handel uh, i think it's nicolehandel.com okay that's a wonderful story. good plug but besides the artistic nature of what she does there's also a scientific nature. Certain colors blend with other colors. Certain mixes in the paints. Some things go with other things and some things don't. The use of lighting, all this stuff is physics. It's scientifically based. True. I went to one of the, her uh, shows one time and she was all up in arms because the lighting on a certain painting was all wrong. I'm looking at it and hey, you got light on, I can see it. I don't get it, you know, but for her, this, the, the way the light blended and all that, it didn't make sense. That's science. Mm-hmm. So even in art, science comes to play. Well, we have a science where even art comes into play. And that's the reality of it, you know. Clinical intuition, we call it. Very good. And Dr. Hindell, how can people get a hold of you? Um, well, through the, the ThriveWorks uh, 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 website uh, and uh, also uh, the ThriveWorks number. Um, 
but my email is gregkandel at fryworks.com. Anybody wants to shoot me an email, I'll be more happy to respond back. Great. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Anthony.